Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This week on Buckets, Boards, and Blocks, we are hitting the W playoffs with a special guest representing the Minnesota Lynx. We're also talking NBA and the major embarrassment that happened. Plus, who's tripping? King cannot wait to talk about this embarrassment. Anyway, plenty to discuss. But first, Darlene, let's run it. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt and King McClure is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Monica is a former Georgetown Hoyer who likes nothing better than a three in transition and thinks DC ballers are the smartest. King is a former three and D Baylor baller whose idea of a good time is locking down the other team's best scorer. Monica, King, let's do this. Before we get started, I have to throw this out here. Monica McNutt got a new radio gig. <laughs> Turn up like for real. That's big time. Monica, please tell us a little bit about what time, what's the show about, where we can listen to you at. Way to put me on the spot, King, but I appreciate your support. The show is called Game Night. It's Sunday nights from 9 to 1 on ESPN Radio, so on wherever you get your ESPN Radio. Um, I'm joining Tyler Fulgram and Ashley Brewer, and we're talking all types of sports from 9 to 1. It's going to be fun. 9 to 1 in the morning, correct? Yeah, I got to get a nap in. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Hey, it's all good. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a job, radio job at that. Hey, we're so proud of you, me and Bruce. Proud of you. Congratulations. I appreciate that. I'm excited. That was dope. Thanks, Darlene. We are here. Listen, we do these pre-prep calls for our pod so that we can be great and give you greatness. King has been chomping at the bit. So let me just let me just set the table, listeners. The Denver Nuggets come back from 3-1 deficits twice now in the 2020 NBA playoffs. The most recent, in case you missed it, they knock off one of the favorites to not just get to the Western Conference Finals, but to win it all this year in the Los Angeles Clippers. Two superstars, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, a terrific defender in Montrez Harrell, toughness guy in Lou Beverly, or not Lou Beverly, Pat Beverly, a former Sixth Man of the Year in Lou Williams, among other pieces, led by Doc Rivers. All right, all of that being said, I am now going to allow King to take the floor. Monica. Oh my gosh. So where do I even get started on this series? Let's start with PG. You haven't done any playoffs, all playoffs. I don't even care about you at this point. You're kind of irrelevant, to be honest. Okay. Kawhi Leonard. Oh my goodness. So listen, I really think I did some digging last night. I think we give Kawhi Leonard too much respect. I think we 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 celebrate him too much. I think he is in a sense overrated. Check this out. Last year, when he won a championship. With the the Raptors, Monica, they had six people average double figures for the whole year. And if you really want to get technical, Marcus saw averaged 9.1. So that's seven people almost, well, six 
in a, almost seven. People that average double figures the whole year. Take him off that team. Team is basically one shot away from going to the Eastern Conference Finals. That team is still a great team. When he went out last year, they still maintained that elite record that they had. So, was Kawhi, I know he was probably the X factor, but you could have put Jimmy Butler in that place. You could have put a lot of dudes in that place and they would have took him over the hump. Let's, let's go back even further when he's with the Spurs. He played with four Hall of Famers to get a championship. We give Kawhi too much respect. Then he turns around, and let's just be honest, last year's supporting cast was better than this year's supporting cast when you really break it down. Last year with the Raptors. With the Raptors was better than this team's supporting cast. So you finally get a chance to show what you can do, okay? You finally get your, your own team in a sense. And zero points in the fourth quarter? In a game seven, Monica? You know, okay, hold on. Let's uh, zero. No, no, zero points in the fourth quarter, Monica. In a game seven, we got to take the superstar label off off of Kawhi. LeBron's not doing that. Kevin Durant's not doing that. Kobe's not. Jordan is is surely not doing that. We got to take that superstar label off Kawhi. There's no way you have zero points in the fourth quarter and choke that much. So. I want to go person to person. Last year, game, it wasn't a seven-game series, the final game of the season when Toronto beats the Warriors. Their starting lineup was Mark Gasol, Danny Green, Kawhi Leonard, Kyle Lowry, and Pascal Siakam. Okay? Mm -hmm. The other night, the starters are with the Clippers, 2020, Patrick Beverly, Montrez Harrell, Lou Williams. Wait a minute. I'm sorry. Hold on. Okay, Lou don't start. I was going to say, this is not starters. I thought they had the starters put in bold on this box score. Yeah, Montrez don't start. Hold on. Let me get my starters right. I can't tell from this thing. But I think the starters are uh, Paul George, right? Mm -hmm. Kawhi Leonard. Yeah, Pat. Montrez was six-man, so he don't start either. It's Pat Bev, uh, Pat Beverly, Morris, and then um, Zubak. Morris and Zubak. Mm -hmm. um, wow. Okay, head to head. You do have me really thinking. I, mm, I don't know, King. Mm. Production-wise, when you look at the production, six yeah. players averaging double figures, that is a lot of people. That's the ball moving. That's a, that that's the the ball is moving. The ball is that they're playing team basketball. Six players and Marcus are averaging nine point one. That's a lot of a, a lot of points. So, but are you saying that the starting lineups, if we go supporting cast just off the starting lineups, are better? Period. Or are you saying that Toronto had a better system? Because I think that there's an important distinction to make. Because I don't know if I put that five versus that five from last season that I'm 100% saying that the Toronto had the better five. I think Toronto has people that are better at what they do. Like Danny Green is a terrific shooter. Pascal Siakam had an excellent season last year, but I'm not so sure that I would say flat well, out. Okay, let, 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 let's break it down. You have Kawhi, PG. PG doesn't show up. So honestly, mm, 
Kawhi, mm. and then you have Lou Will and Montrez. My, they, they were two great players, okay? So honestly, you have four players on the, the, the Clippers who can produce. And honestly, they Montrez and Lou is depends on the game. They might have a crazy game. They might be quiet. Really depends. On the Raptors, for you to average double figures the whole year, that means you have consistent production. That means you have production night in, night out. And from from guy, you have six players, not including Kawhi. That means one through eight, one through nine, technically, one through eight for sure, are giving you consistent production. I don't think this year's team, he was getting consistent production from his supporting cast. Bruce, you want to chime in on this one? I think that what I saw out there was a team that was just a little bit too full of themselves. They thought it was going to be Kawhi. We got Kawhi, and I think they relied too much on him. It's like, whatever happens, oh, you know, well, we got Kawhi, so, you know, he's like the, the, the magic, you know, X factor or whatever. It's like, you know what? Nobody realized how good Nikola Jokic was, and they never That's found right. an answer for him. And Jamal Murray just absolutely torched those guys. I didn't see a whole lot of great Patrick Beverly perimeter defense on that dude. So I think that the Clippers probably could have been the better team, but their attitude got in the way. I will but, say that I'm not one for a bunch of excuses, but I think if Doc Rivers said that his guys weren't conditioned and Mark Spears someone who we've had on this pod we all respect Bruce you know Spears tweeted out that at points last night guys couldn't go longer than three minutes without asking for a break now I don't know whose fault that is I don't know if you chalk that up to the uniqueness of the bubble Lou Will's trip to get wings at Magic City uh um Montrez Harrell you know going home to deal with the passing of his grandmother I don't know whose fault that is but if it's a conditioning thing, that's a bad look. And I will say that conditioning is something that is mental. So I agree with you, Bruce. Ultimately, it comes down to being overconfident. Pride comes before a fall. Yeah, Monica, that, that, that sounds like a whole bunch of um, BS to me because they're NBA players. That, that, that's unacceptable. That, 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 that's horrible. You have one job, to go out there and produce, to win ball games. For a team that's out there, and that is supposed to be a, a NBA championship contender, that you have no excuses. Like you just gotta accept this one. And then another thing, another reason why I feel like we we give Kawhi too much too 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 much credit. He's supposed to be that elite defender. So where is he at when Jamal Murray is dropping 40? Or Nikola Jokic is dropping 30? Because we definitely what, told Donald like, like what's like I know you I know you're not making shots, but you can at least go get stops. And you're supposed to have Three lead defenders on that team, and Kawhi, Paul George, and Patrick Beverly, and Jamal Murray and Jokic are just eating them alive. Credit to those dudes because they—they, I think they expose some things. Like, like you can't take nothing away from the Nuggets, but I think that we give way too much credit to the Clippers. I will say that I do not want it to be lost as we have this conversation that the Nuggets deserve credit. Mike Malone, Jokic, yeah. Jamal sure. Murray. Gary Harris in particular. Shout out to Jeremy Grant. Is it Jeremy or Jerrion? I don't know which one of them it is. Jeremy. Jeremy, Jeremy Grant, DMV product, the math is stand up. Um, I think, and I said this, I said this on this podcast that I was most excited for the Denver Utah series because those are the two teams that are next up in my mind. Now I did not see Denver getting all the way to the Western yeah. Conference Finals, but we knew 
that those teams were on the brink. And maybe these guys are aging a little bit quicker than we thought they would. Look, all I know is LeBron and AD would not have had this. And we're going to see. We're going to see. I'm very interested, though. Very interested to see how they guard Jokic and Jamal Murray. Because Jokic's passing ability is so elite, he makes it very hard. I think if I'm them, I'm just switching. I'm switching. I'm having LeBron or or a bigger defender. Because they're all like 6'6 and above except Rondo. But I'm just switching it. That's the best. I think that's the best option to do. Switch with Jokic. Because Jokic can hit you with 30, but it's his 14, 15 assists that really hurt. Because the majority of them are just kick out the threes. So I think if you can eliminate his assist and live with his points, I think that's the best way to stop. Now, now granted, that sounds way easier than it probably is in real life. But I think that's the best way to stop him is force him to become a scorer and not a passer. Um, there's a lot of things that seem destined now for the Lakers. But on the other side, who the Lakers might be playing, or you know what, I'm not going to be in the same crowd as Stephen A. and Charles and Kenny and all those people and have Jamal Murray calling me out. The Lakers or the Nuggets might play the winner of Boston and Miami. And I had to go to dinner for my cousin's birthday. Um, my boo was texting me the updates on the game because I didn't get to take it in on person. But when I saw the block by Bam Adebayo on Jason Tatum. Sorry, Bruce. I know this hurts just a little bit. This series is going seven to the house, seven in overtime. Like, this series is going to be fantastic. I think this will be the best series in all of the playoffs. The way that they played last night, the way those guys competed, like, that's real basketball. A lot of people like to complain and say the NBA does not, they don't play defense. They don't really compete hard. No, no, no. Those two teams battled down to the wire. But the one thing I just can't, I can't understand is why did Jason Tatum settle for that long three with five seconds to go? If I see that one more time, I think I might throw my remote at the TV because I'm tired of people. Uh, Norman Powell did this the other day. There's five seconds left, and you want to settle for a long three, three feet past the three-point line. No. Go take it and see what you can get. Get a little bit closer and make it an easier shot. Stop settling for these long threes. You're not Dane. Like, come on now. High risk, high reward. What you got, Bruce? You didn't love that they shot they didn't need a three. If you they are in did. a situation where you don't need a three, why on earth would you ever take a three? Guys, I mean, I don't to, to go viral. Duh. You may forget you don't need a three. <laughs> I mean, the referees really tried to hand it to Boston by giving them that foul, that dead ball foul, where Marcus Smart got yeah. pushed into uh, Derek Jones Jr. and they called a foul. I mean, even me, the most loyal Celtics fan there was, saying, Oh, my God, they just got, like, such a gift there. And then you waste it and you piss it away by taking a stupid three. Sorry. Love Jason Tatum. Love Brad Stevens. I don't know. I mean, if they have that situation again, I bet you they handle it differently. Yes, please. Please, please, please don't shoot the three. I'm going to throw my remote at the TV. Like, please. Because that, that, that honestly bothers me. That really bothers me. Game two of that series is Friday or Thursday, Bruce? Thursday night, my birthday, tonight. Oh, oh. Happy birthday when this podcast is dropping. Oh, happy birthday, birthday Bruce. Thank you. Thank you so much. I know I look younger than my age. <laughs> what you talking about? Because I'm so old. 
Yeah, 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 King. That's right. For about the 16th straight year, I'm 46. <laughs> 17, 17th straight year. Um, Thank you, though, guys. Bruce, we love having you. We love having your wisdom. If that is a side effect of a little bit of years on you, we are thankful for your wisdom and guidance. Happy birthday, Bruce. Hope the Celtics get a win on your birthday. Yeah, me too. Thanks. <laughs> all right. So we got another segment. We've got, first of all, we've got a terrific guest coming up. So we just want you to lock in for that. But also, timeout stop. Minnesota has been at the crossroads of sports and the quest for racial justice, and it didn't just start with George Floyd's killing by Minneapolis police officers in May. Maya Moore retired from her Hall of Fame career with the links to help free a wrongly convicted man. There's more to that story. Um, and the entire Lynx team was vocal in protesting the killing of Philando Castile and Alton Sterling by police back in 2016. Today's guest is a native of Minneapolis. She played for the Minnesota Golden Gophers and is the analyst for the Minnesota Lynx of the WNBA and the sideline reporter for the Minnesota Timberwolves. She is the one and only Leah Olson. Leah, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. What a pleasure to be here. We are pumped to have you. Now, there's a couple of things that we want to make sure that we get to today. The W being first and for foremost, we mentioned um, the T-Wolves, and of course, we're mentioning your background from Minneapolis and the role that it has played in everything we've seen this summer. But let's start in the W, because we're recording this pod on Wednesday. On Thursday, first playoff game for the Minnesota Lynx. Crystal Dangerfield. To me, she should be the unanimous rookie of the year, Leah. What has made her so exceptional this season? It's pretty amazing if you think about how many coaches missed on her coming through on the second round of the draft. But um, she just has really taken advantage of an opportunity to play. So she got into that starting lineup because of injuries and kind of just showed how much court sense that she had. She has a natural sense of being on the court where people should be, um, how to move the ball, um, how she sees the court, how she communicates with people. And as you watched her game in and game out, you started realizing that this young athlete was kind of wise beyond her years. Um, I think everyone knew she was gonna be a pretty good three-point shooter because that's really what they brought her in for. But her ability to get to the basket and, um, and distribute the ball has been just way better than anyone could imagine. But then there's this, also this thing about her that's just very cool and easy. Like I've, I've yet to see her rattled on the court. That is exactly Crystal. And I know for me, covering her with UConn in the American, there was so much conversation around that most recent team about leadership. And I remember talking to her and Megan at a game at DePaul this year, and she kind of just shrugged that off and talked about how you just kind of get it when you get it. As a senior, she had now understood it. And she's like, I don't think people get how young our team is. Like, it's a big difference between your freshman year and your rookie season. But the other thing, that's the very same game, Cheryl Reeve is in the stands at shoot-around. And so there's something about Cheryl and Gino's players where she just trusts, because you're right. It was mystifying to me that Crystal fell so low in the draft. Yeah, it was really interesting. And I know that I remember on draft day, Cheryl Reed was just so excited to get her. And it was like, she kind of knew she had this gem, but she wasn't sure how great it was going to be. But she was like, I can't believe she's still here. And, 
And yeah, Cheryl Reeve always says that about UConn players. She likes to get them because they usually come in pro ready. And so that matters in this league. And as we all know, you don't get a lot of opportunities. You have to take advantage of them. And those players tend to do that, like Nafisa Collier, who has been outstanding as well. Yeah, Leah, pardon me. I, I've been so consumed with the NBA that I really haven't watched a lot of WNBA. But I do know a little bit. And here's my question for you. Okay. So we're talking about Christy Dangerfield. However, the person that came in with the most hype was Sabrina Inescu. Do you think that if Sabrina Inescu would have been playing, we would be having a different conversation for Rookie of the Year? Um, you know what's interesting about that? Yeah, I think there was a lot of injuries, actually, that kind of changed this race. But in particular with Sabrina, yes, because she was such of a crowd favorite and everybody knew her name and everybody was watching her. So I think that, um, I think obviously Crystal would have still had a great season. I think Sabrina would have too, because her the games that we saw her in, she was looking good and looking like she was ready to play at that pro level. But there is that piece of sometimes people just think someone's better because we've heard more about her and we've heard yeah. so much about her career that I wondered that too, that even if those numbers would have been close at the end, would Sabrina have come out on top because people just have heard that name for so long. Um, so um, I think that's an interesting conversation. Full disclosure, Leah, King is a Baylor guy. So he is familiar with Kennedy Carter, who also would have been in that yeah. race. Um, yeah. And it's just part of, I think, part of this season, and we're, we'll get back to our scripted questions, but I think this is a great place to be, Leah. You've obviously covered the league. You've played at a high level. I know that there was concerns about injuries, particularly for veterans because of the schedule. But to me, like, I just can't help but think how much fun we missed out on with the injuries to both Sabrina and Kennedy. Yeah, I was pretty bummed the first time the links matched up. We didn't get to see Kennedy come through. And that I think that's just disappointing for the league in general. You want your best players playing at, at all times. And um, so what I've seen of her play and her ability to score the ball is um, simply amazing. And, and I say this, I don't know um, what she can do on the defensive end. I know she has the ability to be great on the defensive end. I just haven't seen that yet. But it's like she's that level of player. Um, so, but I think the good news is, is that the young players that are coming into the league right now are high level players. So it's like the league is like taking another step up, which, um, is pretty amazing because it's been doing that, you know, year in and year out. But this year in particular, it's pretty amazing. So you mentioned those young players, Minnesota has some of those young players and Nafisa Collier, who is terrific and continue to build on her rookie of the year season but i gotta say leah when sylvia files went down i was like oh boy which way is this thing gonna go with this squad um so who do you credit most when you look at the ability of the links to navigate and not only just navigate like not just survive but come in fourth when we get to the standings at the end of the season yeah, you know, you weren't the only one who thought that. I mean, it was devastating because it was early and the whole preseason, we just talked about Syl. Syl, she's like the person, we love her. She's the greatest center ever. She's the nicest person on the planet. She's just everything you want a leader to be. And I couldn't figure out what they were going to do inside without her. You know, that post game just kind of diminished without her in there. But then it's, um, again, people taking advantage of opportunities and, and players standing up, uh, stepping up. And so a couple things I'll say is one, I think that Cheryl Reeve does a really great job of 
bringing in players that fit her culture, that fit her style of play. So when they get opportunities, they're ready to go. And, um, and I think her players, because of she's an elite coach, I think they get better during the season. Mm. So, um, so like someone like Damaris Dantas, who has been, um, you know, for the Brazilian team, has just been amazing and has always been good for the Lynx, kind of took it to that next level without um, Sylvia Fowles in the game. And then, um, you know, Nafisa um, did what we all hoped. And I was always, I'm nervous always about that sophomore year, you know, when people come in, especially after being the rookie of the year and what that looks like. And she kind of had that little slow start where she was like overthinking stuff a little bit. And then all of a sudden, boom, she slipped into just playing her style and went to that next level. And then it's like they, they lifted everybody up. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's hard to say one exact thing, but it was just kind of this combinations of things that all came together that allowed them to play so well without Sylvia Falls in the game. Very impressive for sure. Most definitely. You know, I got to show love to my Baylor girl on that team, Odyssey Sims. Shout out Odyssey. My question is, I haven't been watching. So what has Odyssey contributed to that team? I love Odyssey. And like, here's the thing is that I, I really didn't think she was going to get much opportunity this season coming off of having that little cute baby boy, Jaden. So cute. I just made lots of shots of him throughout the playoffs. And, um, and she, and even coach Reeve and everyone was saying, we're not pushing her, whatever happens, happens. So no one knew what to expect. And, um, and it, uh, I want to say one or two games, she was just kind of getting warmed up. And then all of a sudden you started seeing that odyssey of old and, and her ability to like penetrate and get to the free throw line and then make decisions from there. There's not a lot of other guards in the league who can do that the way she does it. And, um, and then her, how she uses her body to get to the free throw line. She's just so good at that. And that just gave the team depth. And when they moved her into the starting lineup, it was like, oh, yeah, Odyssey. I don't think she's 100% back, but I'm thinking she's, you know, in the 90s. She's, she's just, it's been really important to have her back, and especially headed into the playoffs. It's so funny, though, because when I think of the Lynx, obviously I think of the dynasty years, right? And you think of this veteran-led team. And so you've got someone like Syl, obviously long-tenured, incredible record-setter in WNBA, Olympian. Then you've got Odyssey, who's also a longtime pro, a veteran in that leadership. But sort of at the head of the snake, you've got these tweeners, rookies, right? Like Rachel Benham adds a huge boost of energy. Lexi Brown is having a great year defensively. Um, But when you look at it all, Leah, who's the unsung hero? Ooh. Mm. Ooh, that's a good one. Okay, let's think of the unsung hero on this team. Um, well, I'll, I'll maybe kind of give it a little bit broader. I'm going to say like bench players, because okay. I think what people have done really well on this team is they have played their roles. So mm. Everyone has stepped into wherever they need to be. Rachel Bannum, as you mentioned, just came in hot the other night. And, you know, she's a great three-point shooter. She's another player that has another level to get to um, that I don't think the W's really seen yet. And, and we started seeing spots of that as she would come in in games. And, um, and I think Lexi Brown um, did that same thing. She, she went with wherever coach put her. She started, then she went to the bench and, um, she was hitting threes at the beginning defensively. She's turning people over, you know, so she was just kind of showing people what she had. Um, so I think everyone really was clear on 
what my role is on this team and um, just kind of everyone did a nice job of showing up how they were supposed to. That's good. So mentioned Cheryl Reeves a little bit um, as a fantastic coach. But however, there are some other coaches, Bill Lambeer, uh, Tebow. Who is your coach of the year? Unbiased opinion, Leah. Unbiased opinion. Yeah, yeah unbiased opinion. I would have an unbiased opinion, yeah. I voted for Cheryl Reeves um, and um, for a lot of reasons, but I think most importantly is because how she has put a team together and then had lots of injuries. And that's, that starting lineup in the first month of the season was different all the time. And you lose your best player, Sylvia Fowles. And I think the reason it was able to work is because of the type of players that she brought in that fit her system. And she demands a lot of her players, but they respond to her so well because I think she connects into them in a way that um, a lot of coaches don't. She's, she's completely 100% supportive of all of the work that they do outside um, with social justice. She's there with them. She believes in it. Um, and so I think she's able to get people to push to another level. And um, so I just think in this situation with what she's done with injuries and how she put the team together that I think that award should go to her. All right, well, speaking of awards and voting, I got to know, between Brianna and Asia, because that is, looks like it's a two-man race for MVP, where are you leaning there? I went with Asia. Okay. I just, I, I think that was probably the hardest one to pick, but I just think that Brianna has just more support than she does, like, if I just look overall, and then what Asia had to do, um, stepping up with Liz Cambage not being in the scene, and then she stepped up her blocks and her defense, and her game. So I think like that true meaning of what MVP is um, that she had to, you know, she's the best player on the team with not as much, but kept her team at the top of the standings all year. Like, um, but I will say that one was a little difficult. That, that one's yeah. definitely tough. Now, obviously we've got this playoff game looming, but before we go to that specific matchup and we sort of date our podcast, Leah, how long have you been covering the W now? Oh, goodness gracious. Since the um, Lynx came to Minnesota in 1999. Oh, I love that. I, the first time I became aware of you, I think it was the D. Rose interview. Oh, yeah. yeah. Who is this woman with this big natural hair? Because I am here for her. Like, who is it? <laughs> I love that. Um, and I was like, oh, my God. Oh, she does both sides. Like, I got to follow her. Like, this is great. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, okay. Let me pipe back down. Uh, you've been a part of the league for a long time. And we talked about you being a native of Minneapolis. And 2016, it was funny because I was reading and 2016 was the first time I think we saw a league forced to make a statement after they had to rescind the penalty for the links for wearing the t-shirts, right? Am I, is that correct? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, but in 2014, I almost forgot, we saw sprinkled through sports, the I can't breathe t-shirts following Eric Garner. Right. Um, but in the conversation of where we are in terms of athlete activism, and we know that the W had a huge focus on the Say Her Name campaign and using their voices to elevate those that have suffered social injustice. Lots of folks, and I'm proud when I hear it, have said that the WNBA has been about this and has been ahead of the curve. And so you've been almost there for the whole ride. 99, it started in what, 96? Mm -hmm. What is it about this league that, what do you know about this league that uniquely makes these women 
so passionate and so qualified to lend their voice to folks whose voices are often overlooked. Yeah, well, I will say that I think the, the league has grown with it a bit. I think the very, very early days of the league where people weren't really sure what it was, I think they weren't really sure how to embrace themselves quite yet. So I would say it did take a few years for them to feel fully confident in coming out and saying, here's who we are, here's who we represent, this is what we want to be, and like it or not. Um, I do feel like that built up over the years. And, um, and so to me, it's like, you know, black women, and it's not obviously just black women, there's all kinds of women around the world who are in the WNBA. But um, there is a piece of it that I think that is based on the strength of what black women bring to any work that they do. Mm -hmm. and, um, and what they have to go through, how they have been unseen, how they've been overlooked. And, um, and there's something about sport that allows us to really use that skill and that platform. And, and now for the first time that I've seen in my life, use it not just as an individual, but use it as a league, um, use it as the NBA and the WNBA coming together to lift people up. Um, but I will say it's been a process and um, I'm really, really excited about the work that they're doing right now. So if, when you look at this season, amidst all that is going on in our world and our country, what are you most proud of having been someone who was a part of this league? Because the other day on Twitter, honey, they were going off about who gets a vote. So since you got a vote, I know that you are truly a part of this league. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, let's see here. I, what am I most proud of? I would say um, speaking up for those who are voiceless. I think that is probably um, something that all of us have felt in our lives and been impacted by. And I think in the past, even um, athletes or people with power haven't felt that it's their place or they have the right or they might get fired or um, a lot of various reasons why they haven't put themselves in that space. And now that they're doing it, I just feel like you're seeing broadcasters do it at a high level. You're seeing, it's kind of emboldened um, a whole generation of people. And so it's lifted everybody up and they're at the forefront of that. Um, so I would definitely say that work in social justice. Hey, I mean, this has been a crazy year just with everything going on. But let's talk in a broader sense, like bigger than just sports. What has 2020 taught you? Oof. Wow, King. I didn't know we were going there. Yeah, <laughs> real quick. No, you know what? 2020 to me, I always kind of equate it to a heavyweight boxing match. It's like you are in this thing and you are taking hits and, um, you know, you're kind of reeling and you're backing up and you're, but as it goes on, you're kind of, getting your stamina and you're figuring out how to maneuver in it and what you can do to grow in it. And so for me, um, the first, you know, the first part of it, um, when it was just COVID, I found to be very overwhelming. And um, I, have, I have two college kids, they came home from college. I, you know, the NBA was shut down, I wasn't working. So I was just, it, there was a lot going on. And, um, and then when the focus shifted for me and, and the rest of the world, really when George Floyd was murdered here in Minnesota, um, that, that kind of changed everything. And so um, I will say it's been a struggle, 
but it's also, I think, been one of probably the most important years of my life, probably of my kids' lives, and probably a lot of people's lives because um, things changed. We people um, came together. Um, we're seeing, you know, everything's always changing, but we're actually seeing the change in motion as it happens right now, and that's really important. Um, but I would tell you what, it's been it's been a lot. I that's a great analogy. I know at one point folks that I was working with wanted to make the correlation between sports and society and how we're all on the same team and all of these rosy things that we celebrate about sports. And I remember saying some of the best teams that I've been on had contentious and heated locker rooms after practice. And so if 2020 represents our heated locker room, then let's address these issues head on and come out of this better for it, right? But you mentioned you got college kids, you are a native of the area. King's from Dallas, I'm from the DC area, Leah. So when, so when Minneapolis keeps popping up, and I, I hate to say keeps, but we've got a couple of notable incidents that happened in Minneapolis. What doesn't the rest of the country know about? Is it race relations in Minneapolis? Like, what is the deal? What makes this area so ripe that the demonstrations and the protests erupt in such a visual and powerful way? Yeah, Minneapolis is a really interesting place. I mean, it's obvious. We don't, it's obviously majority white um, people in Minnesota, but we have like, if you look at some of the politicians we've had over the years, they're kind of all over the place. We have like really far left and then we had like Jesse Ventura and then we had like really far right and Tanya Bachman. And then we have, you know, we have women senators. We have the first Muslim Congress person. So we're, so it's this kind of interesting mix of um, somewhat liberal views and vibes and, um, and we have the highest population of um, immigrant groups like Somalis um, in the country. So it's, it's kind of a weird melting pot in a way when it's not. Um, so, but, um, so there's something that's really cool and then something that's really not so cool, right? So it's like, what's cool is that there is a space for people to be who they want to be and to speak up and to do what they, and really kind of express yourself, I think, at a different level. But then there's a part of, because there's not a lot of different groups of people here, um, there is, we have, our schools are very segregated. We, um, our populations um, are very broken up into um, socioeconomic spaces, all of that. So we, so we have all of that. So I don't know if there's one thing I can pick out specifically about why that's happening here, but there, there definitely are some unique traits about Minneapolis. Yeah. And I, I don't want to call out Minneapolis because we've seen that this happens, unfortunately, throughout mm -hmm. our country. But on the ground, Leah, I know that many of us were encouraged by the diversity of the protests around the country. Yes. Where you are, is there something that, give, that encourages you that Minneapolis, Minnesota is trying to move forward in a direction that benefits all of its citizens? Yes, I would say for sure, for the first time we're seeing movements from, you know, because we have a lot of top headquarters for corporations around the country that are headquartered here in Minnesota. For the first time, I'm feeling real movement by corporate America here saying, we're going to change how we do things. Um, and I'm, and I'm feeling that because I'm involved in a bunch of it, but also just the conversations that are happening around. So I do think for the first time in my life, we're seeing a shift that um, people are saying, a lot of people had said, I didn't know. Um, 
I always, I struggled with that at the beginning, but I have to accept that. People apparently didn't know um, of some of the issues that were happening in particular in the African-American community around police um, brutality. Mm -hmm. um, now their eyes have been opened and I feel like that this is a moment for change. I think that um, we need to stay on it because yeah. you, you know how topics can go and this and yeah. that. But it does feel, it feels different than any other time um, that I've ever felt here. Got it. Yeah. For real. I mean, that, that's real. We could talk about this all day. But to lighten up the mood a little bit, let's get back to the playoffs. Tomorrow, we're recording this pod on Wednesday. So tomorrow night, single elimination. Monica had to educate me on how the playoffs work. I think that system is super dope. Like That'd be it. super cool if the NBA did it, but I highly doubt they would ever do it. <laughs> but that, that's a dope system. So, Lynx, Mercury, Series Tied, 1-1. What are the keys to the game? Well, I think first and foremost, Sylvia Fowles will be back, and this will be her first game oh, back. Yes. <laughs> yes. So I think that I think you have to be careful. Like my big thing is because their offense is moving so well the, without her. I don't want them to then bring Syl in and then change everything up just to get the ball into her. So offensively, I'm thinking she doesn't have to have a big night. She just maybe has to be at 10 points, let the offense flow as normal. But defensively, her presence needs to be the game changer because the interior defense for the Lynx as of late has not been great. And um, they haven't, um, outside of that Indiana game, they haven't been protecting the paint very well. So I think if um, Syl can come in and kind of clean that up a bit, I think that the offensive end, that Minnesota has more offensive power than Phoenix does. The thing that scares me about Phoenix is that Diana Taurasi mm. is so cutthroat. She will win a game and she will she loves to win at the end. So if they let if they let Phoenix stay in this all the way to the end, then you just it's anyone's game because um Skylar Diggins and um, Diana Taurasi know how to win games. And so you can't put yourself in that situation with this team. So um so I really think that's the key for Minnesota is you don't want, you do not want to bring this thing down to the last minute of a game. The, I, listen, con especially considering what's today, Wednesday, Tuesday night, the momentum that the Mercury have after that, the shot by Shea Petty yeah. is one thing, but the pass from Skylar Diggins, I know we're not going to hype them up because yeah. you got a call for the other team, but I kept <laughs> looking at the highlight, like what in the world? Like, I mean, so that's a team that has some momentum. Minnesota has to lock in. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Coming off of that and her confidence in taking that shot as she let the defensive player fly by her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, so no, I, I feel like, and you know, Minnesota's been sitting. I saw they had like um, a nice little like dinner out the other night to celebrate. So, you know, that there's always that question of like a team that's sitting a little bit and the team that's been playing. Yeah. I was thinking that the sitting would be in an advantageous because it's been such a tight season and everyone's tired and all of that. But you never know, because like you're saying, they're coming off this great game. So they got that little hype in them right now. I don't think it's, I think it's going to be a good game. I don't think it's going to be a blow up. I think the playoffs across the board are going to continue to be great. Um, so we are certainly eagerly waiting for that. That tips at six o'clock PM on Thursday, this pod will drop earlier in the day. So hopefully this is your teaser if you're listening. <laughs> Um, but speaking of you, Leah, as a Minnesota voice and staple, this year, Maya Moore, Olympian MVP champion, made big news 
the way, the reason that she stepped away from the game was to focus on the case of Jonathan Irons. And earlier this year, I don't remember my dates, but earlier this year, she was successful. Irons was free from prison. Major headlines, wonderful. Today, September 16th, the day we're recording this pod, we get the news this morning that not only did she free this man, um, but they are now joined in holy matrimony and they are married. Yes. Yeah. My various group texts have popped with, was this weird or are you surprised? Like a bunch of different emotions. And I think for me, knowing Maya a little bit, having competed against her, I didn't find it weird at all. I thought it was beautiful. And I understand how driven by purpose, passion, and faith she is. Exactly. But what you know of Maya, because I'm sure you know her better than I do, what was your reaction to all of this? I mean, it's a movie. Like it's a movie. Me. Yeah. It's a movie, yeah. And I want to sign the deal for the movie right now because it's <laughs> an amazing story. And, you know, Maya is like, she's so, everything she does and everything she touches is gold. You know, it's just like, I just always remember the first day I saw her at Lynx practice and I was like, I want to see how hyped this girl is out of Yukon. And like, she walked into practice and like ran to the drinking fountain and it was like, she ran faster than anyone I'd ever seen. You know, everything she did was at another level. And so I see that in her play and I see that in the work that she's doing around social justice. And then so now, of course, she's gonna go ahead and do this whole marriage thing at a whole nother level. Um, and, you know, and so I agree, like, um, she's so moved by her faith that she knew that this person was the person probably the whole time that was, you mm. know, um, meant to be her soulmate. So I'm just so happy for her. Cause I was like, yeah, I was like, wait, is that Maya in a wedding dress? <laughs> but she looked beautiful. And I, you know, I wish them nothing but the best, so. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Well, Leah, can you got any more questions? You got any more Baylor connections you need to make real quick? <laughs> nah, I mean, you know, shout out to BG. If BG's still playing. Wrong team, wrong team. Oh, my bad, my bad, my bad, my bad. I'm sorry, Leah. <laughs> she is not okay. in the bubble, though. But I will ask you that, though, Leah. Just, you've covered this league. You know these women. The feet of the wobble, as it has been affectionately called. Um, what do you think people should really understand and appreciate about the uniqueness of this season? Um, well, one, that hopefully it, it never happens again, but that it was so, I mean, the thought that this season probably wasn't even going to happen. There was more talk about it not happening than it happening. So I'm so impressed that they were able to create an environment that was safe for players to play in and give us the opportunity to see the greatest basketball in the world. So I, I'm thrilled for them. I think it's, um, I actually kind of felt bad for players who weren't there once it was established that it was really safe because I do think it's just a moment in time that, you know, you'll share with people and, and, um, so I think they did the best job possible you could do throwing a bunch of people into a bubble. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, also, this also just popped to me. Let's tap into your other job as the NBA reporter. Oh, yeah. Um, you have seen the, the Nuggets because the way the conferences are set up and all that. Could you, could you have called it? Yeah. Having seen the Nuggets battle? No, no chance? <laughs> no, I still haven't gotten over that one yet. So no. <laughs> like, I, was, <laughs> I was like, wait, what? I like I've always liked Denver and I'm always kind of waiting for them to take that next step and that level but I was like no that was not what I was anticipating at all and I only do I cover I only do about 25 games a year for the Timberwolves but I watch them all the time and so I would and and as a group that wasn't invited to the bubble um, on the NBA side um, that's been interesting trying to like, you know, look in and wonder what that would be like to, to be there on the men's side. Fantastic. Well, 
Uh, King, you got any NBA questions before we let Lee go? Yeah, I mean, with the, the Timberwolves, I always got NBA questions. Timberwolves, <laughs> with the top five pick in the draft, I forgot exactly which number they which number they got. What number did they get? One. Oh, I'm tripping. <laughs> Duh, King. What, what, what am I talking about? Okay, look at that. With no one pick in the draft. What are you doing? Are you trading it or are you draft? Who are you drafting? Because think, well, think about it. It's not a crazy question, Monica. Don't look at me like that. Because if you trade that, you know what you can get for the number one pick? And if you want to win immediately, you right. might want to go that route. But are you trading it? Or if not, who would you who would you choose? Maybe not who, Leah, but what is the need? Well, yeah, what is the need? Yeah, well, yeah. So the only reason I would seriously think about trading it, if, if you know, is that this team does need a little bit more, some that one veteran guy, that, that guy who can just know how to do it and who's been through it and runs it. And I hate to, you know, not, not to say like Jimmy Butler, but like someone who has that type of way of being. Yeah. Um, the team does need that edge. You know, we got these young guys who are so good and they're talented, but like, you know what it takes? Like everyone knows you got to have those vets all surrounding you. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I don't even know, I don't know who those names are, but I, I would like to see that bring it in. Um, yep. Some veteran Mm -hmm. presence. Yeah. I agree. I, someone like Jimmy Butler. Wow. It's, yeah, that's a full star circle moment, Leah. That's oh, I was like, I'm not sure I should have said that. <laughs> a full circle moment. Well, Leah, it was so, it was my pleasure to do this. King, hold on one second. I have to fangirl for one moment. Um, now that we've had this conversation, I respect you and admire you so much more because I think it's one thing for like myself as a young whatever doing it, but for you to be able to do it at such a high level for so long as a mom with adult kids, like just, I want to be like you, Leah. So thank you for hopping on the pod. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm thrilled and I absolutely love the work you're doing. And I mean, you ladies are taking it to a whole nother level. So I'm so proud of all you. Um, I'll be watching the game. So um, maybe, you know, if they make it to the next level, you know, maybe we'll have to talk again. Sounds like a plan to me. One of the favorite segments. We know you've been waiting for it because this week, I don't know what it, it was, but it seemed like a lot of people in sports media were tripping. But here is my personal who's tripping. Maybe a little bit old to some, but this is very relevant and this is very real and needs to be touched on. Skip Bayless, my, I'm not even gonna say my dude, no. Don't rock with dude after what he just said. Skip Bayless, like bro, come on now. For you to be, I mean, if you're not aware of the situation, it blew up. Uh, Dak Prescott came out about some of the depression he dealt with at the beginning of uh, COVID and uh, the pandemic. And, you know, his brother ended up dying. And he just basically came out and was very open, very vulnerable about a lot of issues he was experiencing. Skip Bayless thought it would be a great idea to minimalize his feelings and say things like, oh, that makes you look weak as a leader of a team that makes your opponents view you as you are weak. Hmm. Skip Bayless this week, you are tripping. Let me tell you why. We, Monica, we both do TV, okay? For you to sit there and be so insensitive to a topic that is very real, that is very serious. People go through depression all the time. For you to be that insensitive, make a public statement addressing 
basically almost in a sense making fun of what he said when he was being vulnerable is absolutely unacceptable. I don't know if he should deserve to be fired for that, but that's unacceptable. You should never, ever do that. And regardless, if you even think that as a person, like what you said, regardless if you're on TV or not, you messed up in the head, bro. For you to sit up there and disrespect this man and talk about his, his problems, you just a messed up human being because he was vulnerable. Depression is a real thing. Maybe you don't go through depression, Skip Bayless, because you are such on a so high and mighty horse that you don't care about nobody but yourself. So you probably don't go through depression. You probably don't go through real world things because in your head, you're probably greater than everybody on this planet. But however, for the people out here with brains and, and, and a heart of compassion, yeah, yeah, you're messed up. I'm not going to say what I really want to say, but you're messed up for that. And like, like Des Bryant said, if you read the tweet, you can read it. F you skip Bayless, bro. Like, that's all I can say. Because what you said is wrong. Then your apology wasn't even a real apology. Not an apology, yeah. It was some BS. Like, <laughs> just you saying something that you had to say, just making a public statement. That was some BS. And that's not acceptable, nor cool. Skip Bayless, bro. Like, you can miss me with that. I'm no longer a fan. Skipper said lots of things over the course of his career. I think this was one that was way left. I agree with everything that you said, but um, unfortunately that wasn't the only person in the media who had ridiculous things to say. Although my who's tripping goes to one that was tweeted. Dan McNeil, Chicago radio personality, tweeted on Monday night after our girl, we haven't gotten her on the show yet because she's super busy, but we all are friends of and supporters of Maria Taylor, made her debut on Monday Night Football. She's been killing it on NBA Countdown. She's a big deal in college football as well. First Monday Night Football appearance. Personally, to me, very stylish. Little leather numbered, leather jacket with a little shoulder, some straps, nothing crazy. This person, Dan, decides to tweet that she looks like I don't know, she was hosting a sex award show or something completely ridiculous. Out of pocket, way left. Um, it gets caught by the New York Post or Deadspin or whoever. Maria, as classy as she is, responds very classy, but it starts a conversation about how women are sexualized and how it's not our responsibility to make you comfortable. Anyway, the best part of the story is that Dan is fired by Intercom after unacceptable comments, according to his employer. Your words have weight, your words have power. You can't just pop up off at the mouth because you think something's funny. Dan was completely wrong. Skip was completely wrong as well. But I just wanna put this statement out there that my mom used to tell us when we were kids. Everything that's true doesn't need to be said. Now what neither of those two men were true, said were, was true, but sometimes just keep your mouth shut. Like just keep your mouth shut for your own sake. Maria, you are a queen, you're killing it in the industry. Shout out to you. You are one of the most supportive people of other women in this industry, other people in the industry as well. So shout out to you for doing Monday Night Football. Keep killing it. Um, Dan, good luck with the job hunt. You are tripping. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. Okay, people, it's time to wrap this up. Thanks to our producer and the birthday boy this week, Bruce Bernstein. Happy birthday, Bruce. And to our terrific editor, Tom Phillip, please check out our other Pure Hoops media shows. This week, the Mike Wise Show features our friend, Cassidy Hubbard of ESPN. Mike stole our girl, but it's okay. She's been killing it on the sidelines down in the bubble. 
Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams has a new show each Tuesday. Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Otto Strong and Aaron Berlin is back on Wednesday. And this week, they had an excellent roundtable discussion of the two conference final series. They stayed up late to record that pot. You should check it out. BJ Armstrong is back with Eric Newman on the Pure Hoops podcast, which drops every Friday. And King and myself are back next Thursday with a brand new edition of Buckets, Boards, and Blocks from Pure Hoops Media. Listen up, friends. COVID-19 pandemic is still much alive. I know a lot of people that are going to bars and acting like it does not exist, but this is very, very real. So please keep all the medical professionals and essential workers in your thoughts, plus the teachers, because they are our superheroes. Continue to please maintain social distance and stop going to the bars. Please wash your hands and wear your mask to protect yourself, myself, Monica, Bruce, and others. Please keep working for social justice. We talked about it in the show with our fellow citizens of all races and religions who are striving for a more inclusive society. If you like Buckets, Boards, and Blocks, please subscribe, rate us, review us, and leave us a five-star rating. It is much appreciated. Please do that. It's free, and you know people like free things. Until we meet again, for my co-host Monica McNutt and myself, Monica, would you and, do me the honors? Of course. Of course, I got you. Enjoy your playoff in both the W and NBA hoops. Buckets, Boards and Blocks with Monica McNutt and King McClure is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.